This episode is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Enjoy! It is the Chicagoverse podcast on the Dynasty Podcast Network, featuring interviews with Chicago's premier artists in industry and creatives and culture leaders. Hosted by Haima Black, welcome to Chicago. Haima Black, Dynasty Podcast, Pilsen on a uh, kind of rainy, dark fall Friday afternoon and end of September, and I'm sitting here with Danny Deal, uh, longtime guest of the podcast, longtime friend, longtime homie. How are you doing? Uh, wet, but pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you just came in from the rain, and I'm, that's why I left the door unlocked downstairs. So <laughs> that like, storm was unreal. I it know. was like the skies just opened up. It did, yeah. Summer is hopefully behind us. What do you mean hopefully behind us? I'm ready for fall. What? No. I love fall. Because fall means that winter is coming. I know. That's the only bummer is that fall lasts for like 20 minutes and <laughs> winter is like 14 years. But if we could have some fall, I'd be for that. Um, yeah. But thank you for coming up. I know you've got a lot happening. Like, mm-hmm. And I said that on this podcast to guests a lot. I always hear myself when I'm editing being like, you've got a lot going on. But people do. And you have a lot happening right now. Yes. Yes. We just wrapped on Future of Music Season 2. It's a video series that I host for The Verge, and this season in particular has just been spectacular. Yeah, the content you have on this series, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, The description from the website, this Mm -hmm. season, join Danny Deal as we break open some of music's wildest moments and biggest trends, including Steve Aoki and global K-pop phenomenon Monsta X, how superstar producers Andres, am I getting that? Mm -hmm. Okay. And Mauricio have embraced sampling and Charlie XCX on what it means to be a successful modern pop star. We're looking at how blockbuster films are scored, examining how streaming changed the way we listen and digging into why music is becoming more global. No big deal. Right. It's like these are (laughs) huge themes. Like, so we're going to dig into all of that. But like, how is the year going for you? Yeah, it's been pretty nonstop between shooting all of those episodes and all of the work that I do for the Recording Academy for the Grammys. I just feel like I haven't been home much this summer at all, but I'm for the best reason possible. It's been so great to tell these stories. Yeah, I mean, I've been obviously like seeing your social channels and everything, and I do see you like traveling all the time. And I have mm-hmm. to ask, like, as somebody who's been in the creative arts as long as you have on the freelancer and on the artist and just in that creative space, how nice is it to be busy? You know, you always want what you don't have. Right. <laughs> so it's, it is wonderful to be busy. And it was also very nice to land in Chicago last night and go home and not do anything. Sure. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, anybody who's a creative can also relate to when you kind of have like a dead month and you just mm-hmm. are like out of your mind. You're like, something oh, needs to happen. Trust me. In about two weeks, if I have not been in O'Hare, <laughs> I'm going to be tearing my hair out. <laughs> um, and, you know, this I want this interview about interview to be about you, but also like we got to give a shout out to Fi to your husband because mm-hmm. like he's also he was recently on the podcast and I just feel like he also is having this globe trotting year mm-hmm. where he's doing a whole lot and I just look at the two of you together and I'm like wow that is like a a power couple but b like you guys are having a busy year at the same time yeah yeah we both are we we haven't seen each other much as a result of it wow. but but creatively it's it's been it's been really wonderful for both of us the opportunities are great it's probably good timing too because you don't want one partner to be super busy and then the other one's oh, just right. sitting True. at home like rewatching the sopranos being like cool this is fun right yeah, yeah. there's no fomo because i'm <laughs> off yeah. shooting in la but then meanwhile he's off in the force of the pacific northwest shooting for sony so it yeah. all works out so amazing mm-hmm. um well awesome so like we're talking about this future of music series and it's video and it's a written component. It's on mm-hmm. the verge, the tech website that uh, does really great journalism. So I wanted to talk to you about that and the recording industry and, and all this kind of stuff. So 
starting with The Verge and this future music series, it feels like this is a perfect role for you because you are both a musician and a journalist, which mm-hmm. is not always or not often the case. Like you're yeah. living in both worlds, mm-hmm. which I think makes you really uniquely qualified to tell these kind of stories. Mm-hmm. You know, like has, do you feel like that gives you an advantage? Absolutely, especially because now more than ever, there's a convergence of the two worlds of music and tech. And most people that write about music and tech have a specialty in one field or the other. Sure, yeah. There are musicians that write about music and technology, uh, but aren't particularly well-versed in AI or crypto or any of these uh, new hot buzzwords, right? Sure, and, right, And what right. they actually mean. Yeah, uh, with the, AI. Yeah, right, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or they are tech writers that are genuine music fans that love to consume music and know the culture, but... When it's very different to be a fan of the culture and to be somebody that is actually inside and a part of the culture and releasing music and you hit all of the barriers of being a musician because you actually are doing the thing. Yeah. Just because you go to a lot of restaurants doesn't mean you know how to run a restaurant. Yeah. Perfect example. Exactly. Yeah. No, and I and I do think when I when I look at this series and when I look at the kind of work you do, and I and I obviously know we've both been in Chicago a long time, so I've seen the work you've done. I just think this really suits you so well. And it feels like this role was like tailor-made. When you landed at The Verge, when you first connected with them, was this something that you pitched to them? Or was it something they said, wow, like you're here and this feels like we should build something around you? Yeah, they brought the opportunity to me. That's awesome. When when the opportunity came up, the whole future of music idea, they immediately thought, well, do we have someone for this? <laughs> right, yeah. Good timing. <laughs> yeah, no, it really, it really worked out. They brought me on initially because they did not have a very robust team to cover music in all of its different forms. And I think a lot of people also underestimate how much there really is to write about when you just talk about music and tech. Because yeah. it's not oh just God. the DSPs, right? It's not just talking about Spotify and Apple and whatever is going right. on with how you consume the music. It's how the music is being made, right? Mm-hmm. And it's lawmaking. It's tons of policy as well. It's strategy. It's, it's marketing. Strategy, it's, it's engagement. Marketing. It's, it's distribution. It's everything. Everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole thing has changed. I mean, it's... We both remember what it was like to go to like a Tower Records or someplace at 11.59 on Monday night and wait for a CD. And it's like, those days are 100 years ago and they're right. gone forever. Now, how do I become a TikTok challenge? <laughs> God, like I, God, TikTok, I literally have like a folder of, of articles where I'm like, all right, well, at some point on a Sunday, I got to set aside two hours to read about TikTok, <laughs> you know, because that's, because otherwise if you don't adapt, you get left behind. Well, I have some wonderful TikTok accounts that I'll recommend to you after the I show. I would love it. I, I showed you Cameo. You can show me TikTok. Yeah, I love it. There, there's one where a guy <laughs> does little skits with his pet duck and it's lovely and it's very cute. <laughs> Amazing. The, the internet's so, like... I feel like things like TikTok, though, are great because they do keep the internet weird. Mm -hmm. And it feels like every platform that starts weird and fun, like Twitter 10 years ago, now is Twitter 10 years later. Yeah, that's also fair. I get what you're insinuating. When platforms become very large, then bad actors do come into the picture. Sure. But there are still wonderful, bright little places on all of these platforms as well. For sure. It, It doesn't feel to me like the the communal conversation exists in the same way that it does on these platforms versus what it used to be. Sure. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And something else I've noticed about some of these, like Twitter specifically, it feels like like a lot of people who I used to communicate with on Twitter in terms of like artists and creatives, feels like they vacated. I think a lot of people... Oh, interesting. Not like a lot of people in terms of like the numbers of Twitter, but it just feels like maybe in Chicago, a lot of the voices have maybe started to like 
maybe use Twitter less. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Honestly, when it comes to social media, sometimes I just feel like ain't nobody got time for this. I know. <laughs> it's, it's such so a like much. it's such a time suck and the reward, the return on investment is questionable often. It can be. Yeah. yeah. I prefer the days when I didn't care about the ratios of likes oh my God, and comments. No. And I was just putting stuff up because I wanted to share it. And it was mostly my friends that were looking at it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the good old days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we sound like we're talking about like the 50s, you know? I, mean? I know. Like, <laughs> um, eating TV dinners, watching black and white TV. Um, so with these stories, with the stories you're producing and hosting with mm-hmm. the future of music right now, what have you learned? Because you've been in the music game a long time, but like when you're looking at how things are operating in the future and now, mm-hmm. what are you learning and how is that impacting your own thinking as an artist? Well, what's, what's really interesting about this season in particular is that I feel like this was more me trying to educate our audience versus last year we were tackling a lot of topics that I was personally invested in and wanted to learn more about. So they were more niche. Mm-hmm. Last year we were tackling things like virtual reality concerts with Image and Heat. Sure. And this year the topics are much more zoomed out. So it's Charlie XCX and streaming and how singles are becoming more popular than albums. And this is something that I know a lot about because I live it day to day. Right. But it's not something that most people consider. So this was an opportunity to really take a step back and make the picture bigger, but also educate the audience because most people just don't know about these basic things how music is released on on Spotify. What's the strategy behind that? Mm-hmm. Or sampling, a sample marketplace, something I take for granted. But most people don't know that all these big producers, they make top 40 hits. Some of them rely on buying samples online. Right. Yeah, these are things that uh, are a part of my, my day-to-day. And right. if you're not in the music industry, it might be surprising to you. Well, and that was going to be my next question, is even if you are in the music industry, like we know that artists, musicians... They're tremendously talented at their creative craft, but a lot of them are not super motivated or interested to learn about the business side. It's just not interesting. So if I'm a musician, if I'm a creative, even if I'm somebody who wants to work on the industry side, what should I be taking away from these stories? Like what kind of information do artists need to better their career and also make it so that they're aware of how this is a business Hmm. that they might not already have? Well, in relation to the series, probably the most relevant one would be the Charlie XCX one. But when it comes to just being a DIY business as a musician, which a lot of musicians starting out now aspire to build their own brand, right? Yeah, that's the whole thing. Sign with the label. So earlier this year, I did a feature after I hosted a bunch of panels at Winter Music Conference. Mm That bundled up a bunch of really basic things for musicians starting out in terms of here's your checklist of important things that you should think about because you are a business. Right. You're a creative, but you are also a business. So if anyone wants to look it up, the feature is called the first four things to do if you want to make money in music. Well, and it's so essential. And I I mean, we've had this conversation on and off the mic too, where it's like Mm -hmm. no one, I think this is true of all the freelance I mean, freelancing even as a business, not just the creative industries, but it's like no one's going to go get your money for you. No. Especially Mm -hmm. not in this day and age. It's like the days of just like you get a check because you're supposed to get a check are over. It's like if you don't go after your money relentlessly and if you're not making sure you've got every base covered of where you can be making that money, it's like you're just – it's going to be so much harder on yourself. Yeah. If if you're a DIY company, i.e., a musician that's not signed, that's not sure. a manager, the person who's most incentivized to make sure that you get your money is you. 
Right. Yeah. And you have to know that stuff. And I've talked to enough musicians, and I'm sure you probably heard this, where they go, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with it either. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I like having money in the bank. (laughs) It makes life easier. Right. You know, I I tell all my freelance students at Columbia, I'm like, look, money's not the only thing that matters. But I will tell you this, like when you have money in the bank, when you can pay your rent and you can buy groceries and hey, maybe you can even go see a movie or go on a little vacation once a season or something like that. It makes your life better. It makes your life easier. Alleviates so much stress. It does. There's nothing worse than not knowing how you're going to pay rent having a missed check and all, you know, I mean, all these things that I think we've all gone through and it's just, it is the worst feeling. Right. It's yeah. hard to think about anything else. Right. It's, it's a lot of fear. It can be very consuming. It is. Emotionally. Yeah. So I, I think that that's so valuable in an education across but the board for people don't creatives. teach it also. Isn't that crazy? Yes. It's something that I really take. I mean, I talk about my class at Columbia probably every podcast and it's, you know, I'm only really teaching probably 90 students. So in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things, that's not a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. But I take that responsibility very seriously and it's something I want to find a way to scale outside of Columbia because like I've just been freelancing for 20 years and I know firsthand as I know you do and so many people do how much that sucks mm-hmm. and how much that information is not readily available right? and how valuable it is if you can get it. Right. Yeah. It's not centralized. No, it's at not. All. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. I will say if there are musicians that are listening that are DIY and need help with something, there is a place that I usually recommend when I do interviews and it's called the Lawyers for the Creative Arts. Yes, absolutely. And they're based here in Chicago. And the value, I'm going to let you explain this, but what's the value of Lawyers for the Creative Arts? Because somebody listening is going to go, I can't afford a lawyer. (laughs) Exactly. Most people think that they cannot afford a lawyer. Most most people people can't. can't. (laughs) Yeah. Most people are right. (laughs) So what they do, they have a division where if you are a creative, all you have to do is fill out a form and pay $50, and then you will get a lawyer assigned to you to help you with whatever problem you have, whether that's trademarking a logo or if you have a contract where you need someone to look over it to make sure that everything is in tip-top order. Whatever you need, your cost is $50. That's yeah, it. It's just it's unbeatable, and there's so much value in getting your contracts reviewed. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the class that I teach, when when we get to the week about contracts, we watch this documentary. I don't know if you've seen this, the uh, 30 Seconds to Mars documentary, Artifact. No. Okay, so you should watch it because I tell my class, I'm like, look, this documentary is going to make you, it's going to accomplish something incredible that you wouldn't have imagined. You're going to feel sympathy mm. for Jared Leto. <laughs> um, but it's a really good documentary. It, it's mm-hmm. all about just Jared Leto and 30 Seconds to Mars getting really really fucked royally in their contract. Because and they, get they don't sued. understand the language. Well, they get sued by their own label. What? For $30 million. Oh, my God. And, you know, I won't spoil it, but if you're if you're listening, like, you don't have to like Jared Leto. You don't have to like 30 Seconds to Mars. It is a really great documentary. It just happens that they, it's kind of like the concept of The Office. They were, they were going to go shoot a documentary about a paper company, and, hey, they happened to be there when two people fell in love. They were going to film a documentary about the making of the new 30 Seconds to Mars album at the time, and it happened that when they got the cameras on, they got served with papers and they were like, oh, fuck, we're getting no. sued. And then that became the documentary. Oh, my gosh. It's actually really interesting. You should totally watch it. It's very frustrating. I am going to watch it as soon as I get home. Yeah. And again, it doesn't, you could replace 30 Seconds to Mars with any act of any kind. It happens it's all just, the time. It's people getting fucked by a contract. Yeah. It yeah. happens all the time. It's brutal. Right. Yeah. Because especially, I mean, when you're dealing with people that are very seasoned, right? And it's their job to sign artists. Right. That's what they've had the most practice in. You've had the most practice in making music, not yeah. in reading contracts. No, exactly. In these contracts, I mean, you know this and you see it in the doc. They're just so thick. And I tell my students, I'm like, look, 
Jared Leto is a famous movie star in a, you know, at least theoretically on paper, enormously successful rock band. And he still got screwed. And if he's getting fucked this right. bad, how bad is it going to be for you? Oh, my god! If they're gosh. doing this to this guy, mm-hmm. you know, like, it'd be like if you find out, like, Robert Downey Jr. is getting screwed on the Avengers movies. And you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's happening to this guy. There's no hope for the rest me? of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I think that's great that you are delivering this kind of content and these kind of learnings to artists because they need it desperately and oh, it's so yeah. beneficial. We do. We need it. And I also wholly recognize and understand that it is boring. I do. It's, it's <laughs> I'm boring. not going it's to take away from boring. that. I'm not going to try and zhuzh it up and say that everyone should really deeply care with every fiber of their being about no. metadata. Not the case. I mean, even in the feature that I mentioned earlier, the first section is titled Think Ahead About the Boring Stuff. I it, it's know. It's true, yeah. I'm going to preface it that way. It is the boring stuff. But it really will make, you know, it's like having a healthy diet. It's like, well, this sucks, but I know that in theory, <laughs> it's the better thing to do. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to work out, not because I enjoy being on a treadmill, but but yeah. I want those summer abs. Sure. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Now, looking at the platform, you're delivering this content through The Verge, which, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of us are probably familiar with. If you're not, of course, it's a very, I think, cutting edge, technology-focused site, and they do great reporting. So... Before you came on board, they weren't really looking at music this way that they are now or really at all. So I guess how do you find something and determine if it makes sense for a Mm -hmm. platform like The Verge where the majority of their content is not music focused? Yeah. So when I first came in, I I did have a couple of other coworkers who I became very close to that were my support team because we were tangentially covering music a little bit. Uh, Vlad, who no, actually neither of them work for The Verge at this point. They were Vlad and Micah who I still love very dearly. One covered mostly gadgets, headphones, hardware kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the other one covered big moves made by companies. So what is Sony doing next? What is next for Apple in the wings? That sort of thing. And so I came in to fill the middle portion, which is what are the creators doing? Sure. Right? Yeah. And that wasn't really being talked about very much. And... That wound up really going into directions that I never thought that they would go into because for me, I thought, okay, creative, so I'm going to do a review of the new Native Instruments piece of hardware. Sure, right? yeah, like yeah. Things. That seems very straightforward to me. Mm-hmm. But then I started doing a lot of policy pieces, which is not something that I would have expected. And then all of a sudden, a lot of lawyers became my very good friends because I kept having questions. Uh, That's a great thing to have. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Can't have enough lawyers in your back pocket. I mean, okay, a lot of people would think that you're joking, but... No, I'm not. I'm not. It's true. I'm fortunate my dad's an attorney, and then the DJ that I worked with in the radio business for 13 years, Chris Payne, Mm -hmm. uh, when I first started working with him in the late 90s when I was you know, 15 years old, that was when he decided... That radio was a fun side job mm-hmm. and a really brutal career. And he went into law school. And then the whole time I worked with him at Q11, he was and still is an attorney. Mm-hmm. So I was basically raised by two attorneys. And I can't tell you how valuable it is oh, to yeah. have, you know, to be able to call me like, uh, you know, can you look at this contract for two minutes that I'm agreeing to for a company I'm going to freelance for? So I'm saying that with no irony. Like, it's very helpful to have lawyers available. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny. Every time I meet a new lawyer, they always apologize 
that I'm meeting a new lawyer. And I'm like, no, bring them on. I Please, love talking yeah, to you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, I'm friends with doctors. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's beneficial. Yeah. But I mean, increasingly, because the community and the products and the tech has gone toward DIY, toward these creators that want to be more independent, yes. then the onus has increasingly been upon the individuals to understand what they're agreeing to. Which and is so rough. It is incredibly rough. And that's why I've been learning about policy because it's like, oh, great. So SoundCloud now lets you self-monetize and they have a contract. But do people really understand what they're agreeing to? Or what's the Music Modernization Act? Did you get SoundCloud? That was you, right? To Mm -hmm. like revise their contract because you called them out? Oh, completely rewrite it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I thought. That was like six months, a year ago? Yeah. 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 Someone sent it to me and just said, do you see anything that maybe is not right here? And I'm like... I don't know because I don't know how to read a contract like this, but I know a lawyer, so yeah. let me send it to them. <laughs> no, I mean, it's so smart. And again, this is this is all valuable kind of stuff. And I mm-hmm. really think like, I've said this to a number of guests on the podcast, people like Alex White, and I, I think it's true of yourself as well, where it's like, at some point when you have a window, at some point when you're not busy, mm-hmm. I feel like you have a great like masterclass, either like you publishing it online or teaching it at Columbia or something like that, where it's just like, you take everything you've learned, and I, I know that there are so many people, like young and mm-hmm. adult, who would benefit from learning from that. Yeah, and I, I would also just encourage people to ask more questions in their day-to-day life, too. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people just use the things that they use, and they don't question what they're agreeing to or how they're using a certain product or how they're interacting even with other people. And there's no detriment to asking more questions. No, in theory, that should be to your benefit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So Future of Music is just wrapping up the final installment of this season just dropped? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did just a few days ago. Okay. Yeah, and it was with Charlie XCX. Okay, who is incredible. Amazing. And I was so jealous. I was like, oh my God, like... Were you really? Your gig's cool. So I've always been... You know, when you see people doing cool stuff, you're like, right on, that's awesome. And I was like... I want to hang out with Charlie XCX. That looks awesome. Yeah, she's she was pretty amazing. It seems I, like she would be as cool as you want her to be. She really is. And uh. it's funny because, so the whole topic with her was focusing around the fact that artists are leaning more toward putting out steady singles instead of building of up to big album drops. This mm-hmm. is a trend that certain genres like hip-hop and dance have obviously been living. It's been their reality for a very long time. Sure. But you don't see it in pop music that much. Mm-hmm. But artists like Charlie are starting to do that. Yeah. And so we wanted to use her as the vehicle to tell that story. And it was pretty weird because when I booked her for the show, I did not know that she had a world tour coming. (laughs) I did not know that she had an album coming. Yeah. I just knew that she liked putting out singles. And then we booked her and then serendipitously, the album was announced and then the world tour came and they told us she was only going to drop three singles ahead of the album. And then she winds up dropping six. I know. It was just like a nonstop stream of music from her. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Perfect subject. I know. And just the timing could not have been better on that. I know. It was really great. And also just the fact that she is so crystal clear on camera about the business side mm-hmm. of the industry and the way that she talks about her relationship with her label and her strategies and how nimble she is on online platforms. It's it's very unusual to find someone of her caliber that is willing to talk about the business side as candidly as she does. She seems very transparent. I mean, mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. Like she just seems like she's not about putting bullshit out into right. the world. She's like, this is what things are. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. I also think overall, I think that there is a population online that doesn't want to 
live the pretend curated influencer Mm -hmm. life is perfect kind of model. And I think people now are like, this is hard. This part of life is stressful. Not just musicians. Like there's just people who are like, yeah, let's not pretend online that everything's amazing. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we all now live through that lens, right? That's a part of our day to day life is social media and how people present themselves on social media. And so I think we're all beyond the fact of pretending like things are great all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we can't, we can't live that lie anymore. No. Um, so the second season is wrapped, you know, I'm not to be like, what's in the third season, but also (laughs) like, are there other stories you already have in mind that you Mm. want to tell or other dream guests that you think, man, one day I would love to sit down with dead mouse or whoever it is for a season session. We did a Reddit AMA and someone asked me who my dream guest was. And I just said, selfishly, it would be Apex Twin or Daft Punk. Oh my God. For well, no sure. other, I don't, I don't even care what the story is. I just want to. But then do you them. like hang up your headphones and just go work at Target after you right? interview like Apex Twin <laughs> or Daft Punk? Like after you interview Daft Punk for like a music tech feature, you just kind of like, I'm going to go work at Trader Joe's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I used to feel about Kanye. And now I'm like, oh, I don't know if that interview, like, like Kanye, like seven years ago, I'd be like, man, if I ever got to interview Kanye, I'd be like, all right, cool. I'm gonna go work at Target. Right. Like I've done I've done the whole thing. I've, yeah, I've done the music thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> That's it. Now, something else that you're doing that is incredible, in addition to all of this great work at The Verge, mm-hmm. you are the vice president for the Chicago chapter of yes. the Recording Academy, mm-hmm. which is the Grammys organization. Yes. What does that role entail? Like, what does that mean mm-hmm. when you say like vice president for the Chicago Grammys chapter? So for the people that are not aware. The Recording Academy is the organization that puts on the Grammys, which is the show that you see every year where people win their little statuettes <laughs> for outstanding work in all of these different categories. And there is a headquarters, which is in Santa Monica, but really we're spread out all over the country. Right. And we're really run and operated by voting members. So yes, there is a headquarters in Santa Monica and there are people that are salaried that work there on behalf of the academy, but a lot of the rules and the decision-making and the events that are put on through the year and how the the laws affect the voting members, that's all determined by these boards that are sprinkled throughout the, the U.S. And really the Chicago chapter is not, it's bigger than the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. We cover multiple Midwest states. So right. Detroit falls under the Chicago chapter. And so is Minneapolis, for example, Indianapolis, right. all part of Chicago. So it's really the Midwest hub. Yeah. We'll call yeah. it the Midwest Midwest hub. So the boards, we, we really are trying to take care of the voting members that are under our purview in our area. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at it like, especially for me in dance and as a woman in dance music, those are the kind of people I want to recruit. Right. Those are the kind of people I want to take care of and throw events for. Like we're going to be doing an event that is just going to be for women that are producers and engineers. That's awesome. In in our chapter. Yeah. And everybody will bring a project and give feedback and uh, get to try out some fun different consoles that people maybe have not worked on before. And it's really lovely because I don't know these women, but we're in the same city. It's crazy. Yeah. And doing such similar work, not that the work sounds the same, but it's like you're in the same creative space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but genre-wise, we can tend to isolate ourselves. I think so much creative work now is so isolating because really? we're all, 
in some ways, like I went to your husband's Shy Shooters and the Imaged event mm-hmm. the other day at the Hancock building at 360 oh, right. or 390. Yeah, 360 Chicago. Mm-hmm. Super cool event. And it's great. And I've been to one or two like photography events just to kind of go check those out. And there is a community there. Mm-hmm. And as a podcaster, we don't have any of that. Oh, there's no like, kidding. No, there's none of that. People are always like, what do you talk about with your podcast buddies? I'm like, dude. What podcast what? buddies? Yeah, what podcast? Like, they're like, well, when you go to meetups. I'm like, there's no meetup. Like, there was one meetup earlier this year at, at Cards Against Humanity, which is cool. But I've been doing this 14 years. There's no one I can text about, like, podcasting questions. Oh, that's you know crazy. I, mean? I don't mean that to sound so, like, sad and lonely. I just mean, like, we don't have that creative mm-hmm. hub. Podcasting mm-hmm. is not, like inherently this communal social activity. Oh, that's true too. Which is a bummer. So Mm. I think that there is a component of a lot of creative work now where like you're holed up in your house with your laptop because we can all do things so remotely. You can get on Skype. You can do WeTransfer and and Dropbox with stuff. Right. So like there is a component where you don't always have to be in the same space as people. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, the barrier to entry is so much lower. Yeah. And really most people that are in creative fields just need a laptop and a couple of licenses. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, so, it, yeah, it is interesting. But I think that that's great that you're doing all this communal work. I try. I think it's really important. I mean, a lot of people don't put the effort back into their community. And I don't necessarily fault them for that because it's very draining, especially when you're trying to work on boosting your own career. It's hard to do both. It's hard to give back and keep yourself Yeah, afloat. That's it's a dance. very hard. Yeah. Yeah, but it gives me a lot of pleasure when I see people get something out of the work that I put out there. No, 100%. You know, every once in a while, like probably like once a month when I'm out, I'll have somebody be like, you did that panel. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, that was cool. I learned about this. And I'm like, right, thank God. Right? Like, that's like, thank you for saying that. Because yeah. like, I don't expect 50 million people to leave those panels and be like changed. I just like, if six people a year tell me that they got something from something I put on, I'm like, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Like, yeah. it makes me feel like there's a point to that kind of stuff. Right. You I know? guess I just, I know how hard, it's been for me in music historically throughout the years. And I've learned enough where if I can pass on some of that knowledge and empower some people that are coming up in the space for the next generation, then I feel a responsibility to do that. But it also just feels really good. It does feel good. It's its own reward, as cheesy as that sounds. But mm-hmm. also, like again, like we've been doing this long enough where like there weren't podcasts, there weren't mm-hmm. YouTube videos, there weren't tutorials, there weren't, you know, South by Southwest and stuff existed, but not kind of the way that it does now, where it's like mm-hmm. this information. And it's not even like fully readily available on every level right now, but it used to be even worse. Yeah. It used to be, we had to figure a lot of stuff out on our own without, you know, being able to tune into like whoever's industry YouTube series. Right. And now everything's changing so fast. Right. So fast. So what you knew two years ago has already got to be updated. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. With TikTok. Right. (laughs) All roads lead to TikTok. Apparently, yeah. Um, But I love this. I love the work that you're doing, and I love the spirit behind what you're doing, both in the future of music and in the Recording Academy, because it really does feel like it is all coming back to community conversation and information and empowering Mm -hmm. for the creative community. And that's, That's really valuable. That word word is exactly what it is. It's empowerment. Yeah. You need to have the information available to you in a way that you can understand it, right? That's so important. And so much of what we deal with in music is this very nebulous, gray area stuff that people don't understand. And I do not, of course they don't understand, right? It's confusing. I, I wrote a feature on metadata earlier this year. And it took me over a month to write that because every time I would send it to the editor, there would be some chunk. He'd be like, I don't understand what this means. Right. Rewrite it. 
<laughs> the podcasting class I teach, we cover, you know, on the podcast side, we cover metadata, we cover what music you can and can't use and licensing and, mm-hmm. and you know, how to upload and publishing platforms and all these things. And people yeah. leave the class and they go, thank you for making this easy and streamlined. Right. Because this is the kind of stuff that like, you know, even in podcasting, you have to watch hours of YouTube mm-hmm. and every YouTuber has a different opinion. Sure. So I'm not saying my way is the only way, but I'm like, at least I can give you a path forward where this is as streamlined as possible. Yeah. And that I think makes a difference when yeah. you make something accessible. And a lot, of, a lot of people I find I don't know if this is the same for what you do in your industry, yeah. but at least with music business, most people write with the assumption the person consuming the material already has some level of knowledge. Sure, it's hard to find that introductory like step one, right? Yeah. But still talk about complicated things. Right. And I don't think that those are exclusive. I think we can talk about complicated things and make it accessible regardless of what education you have of the music business. At least that's how I try to approach everything. No, I love it. Um, And I appreciate your time tonight on a Friday night. Um, So I want to ask you one last question. um, Oh, wow. The time went by so fast. How long has that been? About 30 odd minutes. I don't I totally don't mind. Like time. I don't give a shit. (laughs) You can always take away. Can't add. That's true. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, looking at your career in music and journalism and all this creative work you've done, you know, are there other areas that you haven't gotten to yet, other projects you have in mind where like you've already done so much, mm-hmm. but do you also have things in mind where you're like, at some point I'm going to open up a, you know, classic car repair garage or, or, or whatever that thing is. You know what I mean? Okay. So this is going to be maybe an unexpected answer. It still has to do with audio. Sure. I've always wanted to try out Foley. What's sound, Foley? Sound design. So oh, okay. the yeah, person yeah. that figures out what the sounds are going to be in a movie. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I can totally see you doing that. Yeah, there was this one article that got me super interested, and it was a Wired feature on the Godzilla movie that came out in, I think, like 2013 or 14, around that time, and how they were trying to figure out how to make Godzilla's roar, because they wanted to have these certain hallmarks that carried back to the classic Godzilla roar, but update it for modern audiences. Right. And so they had to think about all of these layers. What's going to fill in in the top layer, the middle layer, bottom layer? And they started with whale bellows, they thought maybe that would be a good, right? Like mm-hmm. lots of deep, low end, trails right. off, reverberation. What they wound up going with for the bulk of that base was taking a giant weighted box and dragging it across a cement floor. Wild. I know. Yeah, sound design is one of those things that's incredibly fascinating because you're right. Like, I think a lot of people just assume that there's this, you know, just this touchpad of like ready made sound effects, but a lot of it is just people just doing crazy stuff. Like I went to see, like, don't laugh. I went to see Slipknot in concert like a month ago and it was awesome. Like, and I know like there's the problem with Slipknot is that they're, they are presented so goofy, but their Mm -hmm. music's really like, if you like that kind of music, it's really fucking good. Yeah. And, and their show is incredible. Mm -hmm. I feel like you would like watch like 20 minutes of Slipknot and be like, I can appreciate this. Oh, I probably would. But at one point in the show, and I've only seen them like this one time, but the guy, like one of the guys, I don't know them well enough to be like, it was this guy because right. there's 40 people in that band. But it was one of the guys, and at one point, because it seems like they have 16 drummers, and they had a metal like garbage can, uh, a metal like garbage can, the kind that like you in movies when you see homeless people burning a fire inside of it. So they had like a metal can, like or not can, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And part of the instrumentation of this song, I don't even remember which one, was that dude was hitting it with a baseball bat that was on fire. No. And I'm just like, fuck out of here. This is Cirque du Soleil shit, but right? for like Joliet, Illinois. You know, like, 
And so it was, it was just cool. I was like, I wouldn't have thought of that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I think is so interesting is that there are so many sounds that can be, I don't want to say interchangeable, but are so similar to each other. And we would never think that they're similar to each other. Right. I just saw this exhibit in LA. I was there last week. Right. Uh, I feel like I'm in LA every week this summer. (laughs) And I decided to take a break, went to the museum. There was this exhibit, this artist, I really wish I could remember his name, but he had it was maybe 10 phones set up in a semicircle and they were all playing different Snapchat videos and all of the videos were interplaying with each other. So the sounds would change over time. So maybe you would start to see videos of rain right. and then it would switch to being in a car and the windshield wipers and it'd be in a thunderstorm. But then one of the videos on the side would then switch to bacon crackling in a pan. Yeah. And then you're like, oh my God, a thunderstorm on glass in a car sounds very similar to the sound of bacon sizzling in a pan. That's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I think it was Flaming Lips back in the 90s. I'm pretty sure it was Flaming Lips. Like, put out four, put out one record across four albums that you had to, like, back when, when we all had CD players, you had, and somebody listening might be like, it wasn't Flaming Lips, man. It was Echo and the Bunny Man. Like, but I think it was Flaming Lips. And it sounds like the kind of thing Flaming Lips would do. But basically, they put out one album when you had to buy four discs, and then you'd play it all at the same time on four CD I players. I remember hearing about this. Right. And then I, I never did that. I wasn't a big Flaming Lips fan. But like, I thought, like that sounds like too much work. But it also sounded really like a cool idea. Yeah. That you had to like be able to listen to the song fully, mm-hmm. put it on four CD players, which back then, we you probably had four CD players in your house. Yeah, right? Now I have no way to play a CD. I know. It's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bummer. I miss physical media. I don't miss storage of it, but I do miss like, you know, being able to, I don't know, there was something I cool about I still buy it. records. Yeah. I exactly. do. I still buy them. Um, but then again, I have a record player in my house. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I have an Amazon Alexa and it's somewhat good. Cassette you know? sales are going up. I see that. It's crazy. Wild, isn't it? That's a future. Two thousand nineteen like curveball. Music of tech, or right? Um, We're going back to future of music. Future yeah. of music tapes. Future of music past edition. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think this is super awesome. I love what you're doing. I love when I get to talk to you about this kind of stuff, and I always appreciate that you take time. And and for real, I hope that one day, like, provided something you want to do, I just think you've got a killer masterclass in you. I really do, and I think that that's something that whether it's online or in person, like, people would just benefit enormously from. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Right. In the meantime... In the meantime, you got plenty going on. Yeah. And if anybody does want resources or if they want to know more about maybe the Academy or any particular topic with business and music, I, I tend to be pretty accessible. I keep open DMs on Twitter. Yeah. I, do, I check my DMs on Instagram. I try to point people in the right direction when I can. You're available. You absolutely I, are. Like, yeah. You are somebody who like definitely is not inaccessible in an ivory tower. Like you want to be part of the conversation. And and again, like you're in that community. That's important to you. Yes. It is very important to me. I love it. Uh, Danny deal doing awesome stuff. Check out future of music on the verge right now, both seasons, great episodes. And also if you're a musician in Chicago, like, is there a way that I can connect to what you guys are doing with the Grammy chapter? Oh yeah. If anyone is interested in the Academy has any questions, I am accessible on all social media platforms. It's just my name, Danny deal everywhere. I'm very yeah. easy to find. And I'm always very happy to answer questions about the Academy and and what we do. There are a lot of different divisions and facets to the Academy that I think people are not aware about. One of those things is music cares. No, that's true. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do think the Grammys is just once a year they throw a party on TV and right. then the rest of the year they go hibernate. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of people even think that what's determined for the winners is 
I don't know, a group of 10 people that are sitting backstage somewhere, right? That have like been 20 in the, minutes before. Right. They, they've spent like the past 200 years in music. And right. Yeah. That's not how it happens at all. The people that win Grammys are actually voted on by all of our members across the United States. It is, right. a, it is a peer review process. Killer stuff. Danny Deal on Twitter, on Instagram, Future of Music. I love it. It's great stuff. Thank, Thank you, you again for chatting. Yeah, thanks. You've been listening to a production of Dynasty Podcasts. Find more Dynasty Podcasts at DynastyPodcast.com. For the dynamic dynasty, Dynasty Descend.